Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Hauntedly. This is part 2 of my Colonial Williamsburg episode. And I apologize, I'm actually recording this at my parents' house because I brought the babies to visit my parents, so I'm sitting in my childhood closet, uh, which has a regular size window in it. So if you hear things in the background, I'm sorry. This is the best I could do. Today we have a lot of really good stories because Denny was generous enough to donate some of his stories. He's a tour guide for the Extreme Ghost Tours in Colonial Williamsburg. We're going to go through his last because, you know, save the best for last. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different places and then we'll talk about his stories. And that will cover Colonial Williamsburg. I have left a lot of things out. We might return there later. But for now, this is what I'm going to cover. Our first stop is the Governor's Mansion. The Governor's Mansion was one of the buildings that was rebuilt as it burned down in the 18th century. During the course of rebuilding, many skeletons have been recovered on the grounds because during the Battle of Yorktown, there was a Revolutionary War hospital there and there were several musket balls found with teeth marks in them, which would indicate some very harrowing medical procedures occurred as soldiers were given a bullet to bite during painful moments, hence the phrase, bite the bullet. Some say there are spirits there wandering the maze with you. According to William and Mary tradition, a couple of students on a romantic evening stroll decided to hop the wall around the palace and continue their stroll through the gardens and the maze. The girlfriend entered the maze first, and just as the boy was coming around the corner, he heard her scream and saw a man with a scythe cut her throat. It was later discovered that he was an escaped inmate from the lunatic asylum, which is right there in Colonial Williamsburg. Security guards have chased phantom footsteps as they assume other students are taking on the challenge of walking the maze at night. Students have insisted that they see shadowy figures in the maze with them, and a few have claimed to see the ghost of the girl. There's even a, I would call it an urban legend, that if you are walking the maze and you hear someone behind you, you should not look behind you because if you do, you will find someone carrying a scythe waiting for you to turn around. I... I'm not going to lie, I had never heard the thing about the mace. But I will say, I have been to the governor's mansion, and I have been through the maze before, and it always does feel kind of creepy back there. There's a little plaque that commemorates the people that were in the hospital in the battle there. And the maze is always kind of, I don't know, it feels dark even when it's bright outside. So maybe there's something to that. You'll see in Denny's story later that there might be something to that. Our next stop is the Lunatic Asylum, or what's called the Public Hospital. It's one of the most interesting and notable buildings downtown, not just because of the hauntings. The Public Hospital was originally known as the Public Hospital for Persons of Insane and Disordered Minds, and was the very first mental hospital in America. While it may have been opened with the best intentions, it became a terrible place, and we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It was in service from 1699 until 1960, when the Eastern State Hospital was built and the facilities moved away from Colonial Williamsburg. Patients were subject to treatments that ran the gamut from ice baths and drug treatments. Later on, electroshock therapy was used. But at the beginning, patients were given a small cell with only one barred window, a straw-filled mattress, and were often shackled to the wall, not the warmest of places to stay. You also could be thrown in a public hospital for reasons that weren't necessarily 
that you were insane. It could just be that your family felt you were doing something that they didn't like. There were, there were lots of reasons to be in an asylum other than you maybe had genuine mental health issues, but sometimes it was to get people out of the way. In 1841, Dr. Galt was placed in charge of the hospital and spent the next several years working tirelessly to improve living conditions and treatments of the patients. However, when the Battle of Williamsburg happened, Union troops forced him out of the hospital and Dr. Galt was beside himself. He genuinely wanted to help. He was in fact so upset at the turn of events that he overdosed on a massive amount of laudanum. So much that the blood vessels in his head burst and he was discovered lying in a pool of blood the next day in his home, which was located on the hospital grounds. The next family to occupy that home, the Lees, discovered that Dr. Galt was not easily removed. Mrs. Lee would go on record as confessing that no matter how hard she scrubbed, the blood would not come out of the floor. She even went so far as to have that section removed and replaced, and to her horror, the blood stains appeared on the new floorboards the very next day. Her children were terrified and complained that a man was in the room where the doctor had died. The house was torn down long ago, but perhaps the good doctor has merely moved over to the asylum itself. There, tourists will report bursts of cool air rushing past, and staff say that one of the beds in a display area often appears slept in when they arrive in the mornings. Items will disappear and be impossible to find, and then reappear much later in the day in a different place altogether. The public hospital is kind of creepy when you go in to look at it. Uh, I can totally see where, you know, I mean, you would probably assume that the brush of cool air, you'd be like, oh, it's just the air conditioning. But then again, maybe it's not. Next, we are going to go to the jail. The public jail was built in 1701 and is one of the buildings in Colonial Williamsburg that has not been reconstructed. It was built with only two cells and one room for the jailer, but they quickly realized that two tiny rooms was not enough for the size of the city. While it may not have been intended to house murderers and pirates and the like, it did. It was added to with a debtor's prison and a prison yard, as well as a separate brick building for the jailer himself. Conditions were deplorable, with bad food, overcrowding, and a severe lack of sanitation. There was no heat in winter, and no relief from the heat in summertime. Many prisoners were reported to have shivered to death, and others died from illness. One might argue that it was a prison, so what did they expect? I mean, these are prisoners, who cares? But still, conditions were terrible, whether you were a wealthy prisoner of high status, or a petty criminal, or a murderer. Blackbeard himself was held here with some of his men before their trial, as well as Governor Henry Hamilton, who is also known as the Scalp Taker and the Hair Buyer General, for the deals he made with Native Americans and the charge that he bought the scalps of settlers from them. For this, he was jailed in 1779 to answer to those charges, and he was not exempt from the poor conditions, even though he thought he might be. And quite frankly, if your nickname is the Hair Buyer General, there's some issues there. Women were also imprisoned here. They actually made up a pretty good percentage. And two women's ghosts are often heard in the upstairs rooms of the jailers. Visitors have reported hearing heavy footsteps and animated conversations between them. Today, if you visit the jail, you might keep an eye out as you wander through. Shadows have been known to make unexplainable movements in the cells. And the ball and chain that is on display, which would have been used to shackle prisoners, is reported to swing without being touched. 
And at times, some visitors have reported hearing prisoners talking and pounding on the cells when no one else is present, as well as a feeling of utter despair. Considering what conditions were like in the cells, I can see why such a feeling might linger. I actually haven't been to the jail in quite a while, so this is on my list of places the next time I go downtown to go through. But I can see, I mean, if you're talking about people shivered to death, and there was poor, you know, everybody's getting sick, and, I mean, it's murderers and thieves in with petty criminals, there's a lot of emotion in there. I can see where that would be a pretty dark place to be. And now we're entering the exciting portion of this. Not that the other wasn't. Denny O'Rourke has shared a couple of his experiences while doing uh, ghost tours downtown. So I feel like you guys will really enjoy these. Denny O'Rourke is a professional tour guide and storyteller of the original ghost tour and was kind enough to lend out these fascinating stories. Please take a tour with him sometime in Williamsburg. I'm actually planning to take my mom and go hopefully sometime in the next like month and a half and experience the stories for yourself and maybe even walk away with one of your own. In addition to being a professional tour guide and storyteller, Denny is also the host of his own paranormal podcast called Hauntingly Yours, which explores history, hauntings, and folklore from across the world. It can be found wherever you find your podcasts. And I will have links to both the Ghost Tour website and all of Denny's Hauntingly Yours podcast links on the show notes page on the website. If you visit hauntedlypodcast.com and go to this episode four show notes page, all of these links will be in there. Story number one. One night at the governor's palace, there was a security officer who was on patrol just beyond the back wall. It was a general patrol, and all was quiet. At one point, he was walking through the staging area when he heard some rustling in the trees nearby, which made him curious. He went to investigate and shined his flashlight on the area. It's common knowledge that William and Mary students like to hop the wall of the governor's palace and get up to no good. He figured this was the case. Much to his surprise, though, a seven-foot-tall man shrouded by darkness emerged from the trees and stood before him. The security officer froze, as all he could see was this ginormous shadow of a man. Nothing was visible about him except his eyes, which were glowing red. A staring match ensued, and finally the shadow man ran back into the trees, and the security officer went in after him. Within a matter of seconds, it was all over, because the shadow man had vanished. Denny adds on here, I always look to the history when it comes to stories like this. If that's the case, we know that there are 158 people buried on the property in the Revolutionary War Cemetery. People that history will never get to know other than they were casualties of the Battle of Yorktown. Let me just say this. Kudos to the security guard, because if I saw a seven-foot-tall shadow man with glowing red eyes, the last thing I would do is follow him into the trees. I would be busting it the other direction once he broke eye contact. I'd be like, nope, thanks, but you can just hang out in the trees. I'm good. Story number two. This happened in July 2021. I was on the Extreme Ghost Tour, which I conduct for the original ghost tours based out of Williamsburg, Virginia. This tour is a three-hour outdoor ghost hunting tour in the historic area of Colonial Williamsburg. We were at the end of the tour down at the public jail. I had a REM pod set up near me, which will start going off if anything tries to interact with it by displaying different colored lights. 
I told the group about the history of the jail briefly, citing the story of one particular convicted murderer named John Sparks from 1752. As I was telling the story, the REM pod nearby started lighting up, which indicated we could possibly have spirits trying to communicate. I continued with the story, and the more I got into it, the crazier the device started to react. The group asked questions trying to ascertain what was actually happening, and they were getting direct responses on the device. Things like, if you're a man, can you show us the green light? If you're a woman, can you show us the blue light? That kind of thing. I got a weird fear feeling like we were drawing unwanted attention, so I proceeded to go grab the device. I told the spirits, thank you, but I'm afraid we must go. I kneeled down to the ground when I felt them moving in from all angles. I looked up, and from down the hill, I could see the tall, shadowy figure of a man running towards me at the jail. I looked at the lady next to me and asked her to snap a few photos. She did just that. Three of them, to be precise. All of a sudden, I felt a cold chill run through me, and I knew something was up. I've always been a magnet for spirits, and I knew they had me. I would deal with that later through a saging ritual, not something I do on tours. I talked with the group who was on edge because they could tell the energy had changed. One of the women claimed she saw a really tall man whose face was covered in scars run through me. I went to the woman who had taken the photos and we looked at them. The first two photos I was completely fine. Everything was crystal clear. The last photo I was completely blurry from head to toe while everything around me was clear. I was in shorts that night, but in the photo I'm wearing trousers. My face was not my own. My eyes were hollowed out, my shirt is covered in spirit faces, and right behind me there is a spirit peeking around the tree at me. It was crazy, but I knew whatever I saw running at me was confirmed by the other woman's observation in my group, and I knew it had to be dealt with. Thankfully, Sage was enough to send him on his way, but I have had to up my game since then. My spirit guides gave me a secret ingredient to repel the dead, and I will utilize it always. Again, Major coup. I don't know that if I did that every night and like multiple spirits were trying to attack me, that I would be okay with that. Um, that would be extremely frightening and pretty frightening to watch too. So, but I am still actually really excited to go on this ghost tour and see how things go. I mean, it's a three hour paranormal investigation ghost tour. What's not to be excited about? So, those are the stories for today. A huge thank you to Denny for lending me his stories for this podcast. Um, next week, we're going to move outside the historic triangle, mainly because I have one more historic triangle episode about Yorktown, but I got really distracted this week uh, by Scotland. So we're going to go and visit the Black Mausoleum and the Mackenzie Poltergeist in Edinburgh, Scotland. And you do not want to miss it because it is really interesting and really scary. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that you will subscribe, rate, and review Hauntedly wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, you can find Hauntedly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, you name it. I have put it up there, so it should be anywhere that podcasts are available. I am also on Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon, and you can find all the links to all the things on my website, which is hauntedlypodcast.com. If you have a story you want to share... I would love to hear it. You can visit the website or you can email me at hauntedlypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for hanging out with me today and I hope you have a spooktastic day. And remember, if one door opens when another door closes, your house is probably haunted. See you later.